Welcome to the premium sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. It's Testimony Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you listen to Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Thanks for supporting World Evangelism with your premium subscription and enjoy today's testimony. All right, well, it is time for Testimony Tuesday, and we're so glad that you've come to join us on this episode of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, and I am extremely pleased to welcome in uh, our next guest to tell us his amazing story of what God has done in his life. It's Pastor Tomas Bueno. Are you there, Pastor Tomas? I am here. I am here. (laughs) Hello and welcome. Welcome. We're glad that you're here and made some time for us. We appreciate that very much. Hey, well, I'm, I'm, I, I feel honored that you would ask me to, to be a part of this. Well, so thanks for the invite. I, I should let our audience know that we have a, uh, for our premium subscribers only, we have a, a very exclusive WhatsApp chat group where uh, we reach out to some of our, you know, faithful listeners from time to time with, with questions uh, and suggestions about, you know, what we should be doing with the podcast. And so a few weeks ago, I put out a question and said, um, uh, which pastors would you like to hear testimonies from? And so I don't know who it was. I'd have to go back and look, but your, your name came up on the list. So there's got to oh, wow. be something going on here, Pastor Tomas. Wow. That sounds cool. <laughs> hey, I'd be interested to know who, who, uh, who, who mentioned me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. just out of curiosity more than anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it, it's, uh, it, it's no surprise to me that your name came up just from the little bit that I do know about you. You've got an incredible testimony. And so we want to dive right into that, uh, this evening. So, uh, why don't you tell us, first of all, where you're from, where you grew up and what your, what your home life was like? Okay. Sounds good. So, uh, I'll just start by telling you where I'm at today. So um, today uh, we live in the LA area. Uh, we pastor a church here in the city of Bellflower, California, which is a suburb of LA. So we're about 20 minutes, probably 30 minutes outside of downtown Los Angeles. Um, when people ask, where is Bellflower? I have to reference the city of Compton because everybody knows Compton, right? Uh, because of the, you know, obviously the, all the, the rap and even the movie that came out straight out of Compton. We're about um, four miles just east of the city of Compton. And so we've been here uh, in this area now, pastor, for about 10 years. Um, I actually uh, was born here in, in, the LA, in, in the LA area. I, grew, I was born in uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Hospital, uh, which is one of the county-run hospitals here in the city of Los Angeles. Uh, and I was raised in the city of Paramount, which is the city right next to Bellflower. Uh, I'm, I'm the second of two boys. So it's uh, me, I have three brothers. My parents are from Mexico uh, or Mexico, as some would say. And so we were all born here. I grew up in Paramount. Um, my mom worked a job. My dad was, uh, he actually owned a bar. Uh, he was partners in a bar that he owned with my aunt. And so 
um, you know, growing up, my dad, uh, he was, you know, he was always with us uh, in the home, I should say, but not in the home. Um, he, you know, spent a lot of time out with his friends, um, you know, drinking. Uh, obviously, he ran a bar, so he was in that life, um, you know, the nightlife and, uh, you know, those times where he just wouldn't come home. Uh, but my mom always was there. And um, it's almost like my mom had to make up because my mom kind of spoiled us rotten. Um, and, you know, but we weren't raised in a Christian home. We went to the Catholic church, um, here and there, uh, we identified as Catholic, but we weren't uh, really devout in that either. Uh, so I was born in 79 and basically lived in, in, um, one house, um, my entire upbringing until the age of 12. But, um, it was around the age of 12 that I, uh, I started getting, uh, real enticed by, what I saw around me. Uh, we grew up in a gang uh, area. Um, even though the gang itself was not very active on our street, it was pretty active in some of the neighboring streets. Uh, but this would have been in the early 90s where tagging crews were like really big, right? There was a lot of tagging crews, uh, graffiti crews, and um, a lot of gang activity. And so I remember being in Thank Middles- you. Thank you for specifying for the, uh, for the, uh, a suburban white kids. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in just a moment because we, we ended up moving to Huntington Beach shortly thereafter. But uh, but yeah, um, so I started getting enticed. You know, I started seeing these guys. My dad was pretty strict with us, man. He was pretty strict and pretty hard. Uh, he wasn't affectionate. Uh, he, you know, he was just, he was, I mean, my perception of my dad was like, man, he's real mean. Uh, we would get whooped uh, for what we thought was unjust reasons. Uh, there was a couple of times we did see violence in our home, um, you know, and we uh, saw, you know, my dad hit my mom and, you know, things like that, you know, because my mom's like, hey, what are you doing? This and that. And, you know, they'd have their arguments. And I can remember being a little kid and uh, my mom, and you know, so I have an older brother who's seven years older than me. Then it's me. And then I have a brother who's a year younger than me. So, and then another one, seven years younger than me. So the two middle ones, me and my other brother, I mean, I can remember we'd go with my mom looking for my dad at different bars, man, at midnight, one in the morning, just driving around because she always had a sense that he was in danger. And so anyhow, um, you know, just my dad was just, you know, pretty mean, um, and so he was also strict and I didn't understand, you know, he just would, you know, didn't like us going outside of play or anything like that, even though we would, cause he wasn't home a lot. Um, so I started getting enticed by all, what I saw these guys, man, they were the cool guys. They had the girls, you know, that kind of thing in school. And it was about seventh grade, uh, an incident um, that caused us to move is my dad was actually followed home from the bar and he pulled into the driveway and um, and he was basically he, he was shot up. I mean, while sitting in his car, they tried to kill him. And, uh, you know, they shot up. I was I was in the house. I mean, my brother, we were watching the movie. Look who's talking to. If you remember that movie, anybody might remember that. But that is hilarious time. that you remember that movie. Yeah, man, I remember we were watching the movie and all of a sudden we heard gunshots. And I was 12 years old and hear gunshots. And um, my my cousin's wife, uh, who was they were living with us at the time, says, oh, my goodness, your dad, he's trying to kill your mom. And so we were like, what in the world's going on? Well, come to find out it wasn't him. She just, you know, 
she just kind of assumed that what it was is my dad pulled up. Uh, it was about nine o'clock at night. My dad pulled up home and um, they shot him up while he was sitting in this truck. So he came in. He was all he was wounded. He got shot in the shoulder, uh, blood everywhere. He's asking for a gun. And, you know, I'm as a little kid. I'm trying to process this I was 12 years old. Coming to find out this was problems coming back from, you know, from Mexico, family issues and, you know, just a lot of violence that took place back there that spilled over to the U.S. So needless to say, we had to move and uh, we moved um, in the middle of the night. Um, a few months later, we ended up moving so that no one knew where we left or we moved to. Um, so so how, how old were you when this happened? I was 12 years old. I was 12. And um and so we ended up, uh, um, you know, staying with family at a, an uncle who kind of was like our bodyguard, you know, just dropping us off at school, picking us up because we didn't know where this was all coming from at the time. We didn't find out till later. And so um, we ended up moving to uh, Huntington Beach. Uh, I asked my parents, well, how do you guys pick Huntington Beach? They said, well, we just jumped on the freeway, just kind of exited somewhere and made a couple right turns and found an apartment for rent. We just wanted to get away from this area. And so when we went to Huntington beach, man, that was a real life changer because, um, you know, it was a new area. Um, it was a middle to upper middle class area, uh, very little Hispanics, uh, or Mexicans, you know, very, very few in the area where we lived. And, um, this was at the time where, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and all these rappers were really coming out, man, 92, 93. All my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, I saw the transformation and the influence that they had on these suburban white kids and Asians and everybody, man. And so I just got really enticed, man. I was just really like, wow, this is cool. Watching MTV, man, for hours at a time, you know, it was just like, man, this is and and so then I end up meet, meeting a friend, man. I made a friend who this guy was a, a the he, you know he was a street kid. He is cool, you know all this, and he just had an influence on me, man. And that was just pretty much the beginning of my of me rebellion. I was thirteen years old, and I just you know started ditching school. And then when I got into high school at fourteen, it was worse, man. I just ditched school, um, you know, get high and started smoking weed at 14 and um but yet i would always be at the school by three o'clock to get picked up by my mom and go home um and so that went on for a while until they kind of caught on hey something's not right here he's 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 not coming home he's he's out and about so uh you know that was about 14 years old i was sent to live with family in rialto for six months it's a city in the uh, in the Inland Empire here. And um, so anyhow, um, you know, this was just an attempt to try to get me away from my friends. And so I lived with my aunt for about six months, came back and fell right back into the same group of friends. And um, and so at this point, I was already 15 years old. I was a sophomore in high school, but I wasn't going to school, man. I was just ditching. I was, you know, just running amok and just being crazy. Um, and then at 16, I get my license, you know, my parents are hoping that I'm going to do good, but, um, you know, again, just, it's just a means to go out and party and, and run wild. Uh, but it was at, at the age of 16, man, that I started smoking meth. I started smoking speed and, um, you know, it's just, just, how did, how did that, 
sorry to interrupt. How, how did that happen? Like, how, how did you jump from from the regular kind of stuff, weed and to, to the harder stuff like that? Yeah, well, um, that's a good question. Um, at the time, um, it was just a lot of partying. All my friends used to used to were already doing it. And I remember, man, they would tell me, man, come on, you know, you got to try it or help you stay up. You know, you can drink all night. You can stay up and da, da, da. And this and um, and I and I remember thinking, man, and it, pardon me if I reference movies, but this is I remember watching this movie called New Jack City. Uh, and in this movie, there was this crackhead. And I and I, in my mind, I had it ingrained anything you smoke out of a pipe, you're a crackhead. I don't care what you call it. That was just my thinking. So I turned on my friends a bunch of times. I told them, no, nah, I'm good. I'm straight. I'm straight. I'm straight. Well, I get this job at Subway at the age of 16, right? I get this job at Subway. And my coworker, man, was been a, a meth user for years. But this guy looked like he functioned normally. This guy could sleep on meth, which was a trip because you're not supposed to. He could eat, which is another no-no because meth, you, you takes away your hunger. And to me, it appeared as though he functioned normally. So... I started smoking speed with him, something I didn't do with my own homeboys, but I would do with this guy. And he's the one who really trained me and taught me how to how to how to pack the bowls and how to do all this stuff. You know, I mean, we're at work at Subway where I'm getting high in the restroom at 16 years old. And then my homeboys would pick me up or I would drive to them and we'd party all night, you know. And um, again, I was at 16. It was just, you know, um, at that point, man, I was just full blown, you know, doing drugs and partying. And, you know, my parents, they couldn't do anything, man. I'd be out. I'd come home. I wouldn't, whatever. And that was it, man. I was just just full blown into that. But by that point, uh, by at, at that point, I was 16. Some of my friends that I was close with, right, some of my close friends that I was close with had had joined a gang. So they had gotten into a neighborhood. and so. You know, I'm hanging out with them, but I'm not a part of that gang. I'm just these are just my friends that I knew before they were gang members, if that makes any sense. Right. And so. um, So we're just hanging out all the time, um, you know, going out, partying this and that. Well, um, you know, uh, feel free to stop me at any point. okay? because remember, I'm going to summarize. Moved to Huntington Beach in 92. Well. In 95, we moved to a city called Fullerton. Fullerton is just north of where Disneyland is located. And so in Fullerton, um, you know, we moved there. Uh, My dad had found a house to rent because we were living in an apartment. And this is in 95. And then in 96, again, I'm, you know, I'm working this job. I'm doing all these things. Well, in in late 96, right around the time that I turned 17, I met uh, a young woman who is now my wife. Okay. And so the uh, trip out on this, we, we used to go to uh, an indoor swap meet where all the homies, all the gangsters, all the cholos would go. Cholos is like a Spanish word for gang member. We'd go and um, buy our clothes. We'd go to an indoor swap meet. Well, my wife Right. Happened to work at one of the the stores where a lot of the gang members would go and buy their clothes. And so I met my wife there in 1996, right before I turned 17. Our birthdays are three weeks apart. 
And, um, you know, it was right before we turned 17, we met and um, she got my number and she called me and, you know, I'm still, remember, I'm partying. I'm doing all these things, you know, running the streets, hanging out with my friends who are gang members. And, and then I, and then now I, I have this, you know, this girl that I meet. And so she starts, we start connecting and, and talking. And um, so for this went on for about a year. Right. Um, and, and then she ends up, uh, you know, she, my wife, she ends up getting pregnant and, you know, we're both 17 years old. She gets pregnant. And uh, I remember telling her, oh, go ahead. I said, that'll change things quick. Yeah, no, it did. Because um, I told her, I said, I remember telling her, man, all these things are vivid in my mind. uh, Because I remember telling her one day we went, uh, confirmed that she was pregnant. She says to me, look, my dad's not going to be down for this. I'm going to have to move in with you or something. I said, okay, well, well, we'll make it work. Keep in mind, we barely knew each other, right? And so I said to her, okay, well, I'll just, I'll call you, I'll call you tomorrow. Well, one day this, I remember I'm 17 years old. One day turns into two days. I don't call her two days turned into a week. I don't call her a week turned into a month. I don't call her. I mean, I, I basically left her hanging, man. I I just, so you were avoiding this. Yeah. It's not that I said, I'm going to avoid this is that I was so wrapped up in what I was doing that I was just, you know, in the streets doing drugs, partying, you know, all these different things that I just kind of procrastinated on it. And it got to the point where, okay, it did get to a point where I started avoiding it. It wasn't that way initially, but I'll tell you why it got to that point. Because after a few days, I can call her and say, hey, sorry, I've been busy. Right. What do you say after two months? Mm. What do you say after three months? I was, in, I mean, honestly, deep down, I was, in, I was embarrassed. Even as a 17 year old, like this is scandalous. So I just, I was just, you know, just kept partying, doing whatever I was doing. So um, this was in, in 97. And then in, in 1998, my son is born. My son, Nick, um, he was born in 98, in April of 98. Keep in mind, I have not spoken with her in, in the entire pregnancy. Okay. Oh I haven't spoken with her. Yeah. How did this go down? I got to hear this. Well, okay. So this is what happened. Um, I'm party at this point. I am now claiming the gang that I said I didn't want to be from. Remember my homeboys, they were part of this neighborhood. I never wanted to be from it, but I was always with them and drinking and partying and just, you lay down with dogs, you get up with the fleas at this point. I am, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm claiming the neighborhood is what we would call it. Okay. I'm, 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 I'm basically, you know, um, just claiming the neighborhood. The only thing that is left for me to do is get jumped in. And remember, uh, at this point, you know, um, I'm, um, I'm already, uh, 18, right. Turned 18 in 97. Um, and, and that's pretty old to get jumped into a neighborhood, but for me, it was just a process because I was around these guys all the time since I was a teenager, right. Since I was younger. So what happened was that we're out one night and my son, uh, this, uh, my son is, is born in, in April. 
Um, we used to go cruising down. There's a couple of popular streets out here in the LA area and in Orange County where a lot of the gang members would go cruising. It originally was this thing where guys would go and showcase their lowrider cars, but then it just became like a place to meet girls and, and, you know, go out and party. And so we were cruising one night and, um, we there's it was one of those nights where we would call it kind of dead. It wasn't a lot of things going on. There wasn't a lot of action. So we end up pulling into a 7-Eleven and, um, you know, one of our one of my friends, one of our homeboys, he's, he starts talking to these girls and um, they are buying alcohol. And, and we had just made fun of these girls for various reasons, because they we felt that they were unfit to hang out with. Uh, and I can tell you later why. but. Um, because I don't want to offend anyone, but yeah, they were, we felt that they were unfit for us to hang out with. One of my homeboys decides, I'm going to talk to these girls and find out where the party's at. So sure enough, he finds out, they say, yeah, just come follow us. We get into a couple of cars, right? We go over to follow them and we pull up and there's like, I don't know, 40 to 50 guys hanging out on this street, man. Pretty much block us in, make a long story short, man. They're asking us, where are you guys from? They're hitting us up, this and that. We end up telling them where we're from. And, and this guy is in my face, man. I'm sitting behind the driver. This guy is right in front of me. He opens the door at this point. They're being really aggressive, asking us what gang we're from. I told them where we were from, what gang we were from. I, he says, do you know where you're at? I said, uh, yes, but that was a bad answer because in the gang world, you say, you know where you're at, and you say, yes, then that's like, oh, so you don't care. You're, that's like a challenge, right? What I meant to say was, yes, geographically, I know where I'm at, but right. we're not tripping, you know? But he took offense to that. He goes, what? You're over here saying this and that. All of a sudden, and he 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 pistol whips me. I'm sitting in the car of this, uh, and, and I'm sitting in the car. He pistol whips me. I, 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 I look back just in time to see him pass off the gun. He tries to pull me out of the car and he says, blast them, blast them. And right there, man, uh, they started shooting at us. And instantly, oh. one of the bullets, man, I knew I was shot instantly. I got shot. And, and then the driver, he got shot a couple of times oh. and grazed in the shoulder. So this was now in August of 98 remember so it's been over a year now my son was born in in april now it's august coincidentally it happened to be on my wife's birthday my wife's 19th birthday i would be 19 a few weeks later and so we end up getting shot um and um it, you know i <laughs> it was just a, a crazy night that night but um I ended up having to have abdominal surgery. Um, you know, when you get shot in the upper torso, they they want to they basically cut you open and evaluate your organs to see what's been hurt and damaged. And so after my surgery, it took I was in the hospital for eight days. It took me a couple of months to to recover. Uh, fully recover took me longer, but um, at that point, I was like, man, I have a son out there. And I don't even, and I could have died. Right. 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 Okay. So oh, I got a question for you. Yeah. So th this is a lot of craziness going on that I hear about. So you, you're, you're, um, you're doing drugs. You're doing some hard stuff. You're involved mm -hmm. with gangs. 
and now you find yourself um you find yourself getting shot caught up in a bad crowd and avoiding your responsibility and stuff and, and so okay that's a really low point to be at so mm-hmm. i i guess my question is who has been praying for you because not a lot of people would make it out of that you know i i don't know man i don't i don't i I don't have anyone in my family that I could say is a Christian. You know, that's an, I've often thought about that. I mean, I can see the fingerprints of God on my life, but I don't really know. I don't really know, man. I've asked myself the same question and I just have to chalk it up as being the grace of God. Wow. Um, Yeah. Because I don't, you know, I, uh, I'll get to the to part like where I was witness to, man, I'm hoping not to take too long. <laughs> I'm looking at the time, but I want to share uh, how it is that I got witness to because, um, you know, um, but yeah, so no, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know who it was. Wow. that would have been praying for me. So, you know what that tells me that God is good. Yeah. God is definitely good. He's merciful. You know, it's like uh, Dave Ramsey, right? How are you? Better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, um, so then yeah, what so, happened? So then, you know, um, I, I share my testimony. People ask, well, then, then you got saved. Well, no, I actually remember I was a drug addict, man. So I, I was hooked on meth. So uh, the moment I started getting better, uh, I started going out with my homeboys again. I started going out. But this time there was like this. There was, I got to admit, there was a paranoia. There was a paranoia at work. And um, at this point, you know, I started carrying a gun more frequently. And it wasn't because I was a tough guy. I tell people it's not because I was, you know, going around shooting. It wasn't even like that. It was just I was so fearful, you know, that, that man, I would get caught slipping. I was really it's like a paranoia began to set in, especially with drugs, especially with meth. And so uh, at some point, you know, a few months later, um, I reached out to, to, to my wife, you know, um, the mother of my child at the time. And, and, and she was always good, man. She never kept me from him, never kept me from him. So I started easing my way back in, but I was still in and out for a little bit because um, at the time, this is pretty scandalous. Uh, but I had a girlfriend who had kids. <laughs> weird, huh? I had a girlfriend who I'm over there, you know, with this girl who has kids, but yet, I have my own son, biological son that I'm not even there for. So mm. um, I was kind of in and out for, for, for a couple of months, um, but she was always real good, allowed me to see him when I wanted to see him. And then um, it, it, this was either in late, um, I want to say late 1998 um, or no, actually early 99. It would have been early 99 um, where she calls me. Um, and says, Hey, can you pick me up? I said, yeah. So, you know, I, <laughs> me and my mom went to go pick her up and, um, and she, you know, what happened is, mom, you know, she had gotten in a fight with her dad because uh, she grew up, uh, you know, her dad drugs and drinking and stuff. And so she, she, she said, you know, I'm just going to move out and I'll move in with you. And I said, okay, that's cool. So, you know, I was living with my parents, but we just, you know, I had my own room. So she came in and moved in with us, but uh, we were, you know, we slowly, we started reestablishing a relationship. And so she just ends up moving in, in, in sometime in 99. Uh, and um, at that point, you know, she, um, we're trying to, we're trying to, we're trying to establish some sort of a family, 
even though that we were still, I was still going out and partying. She would go out and party with her friends. We had a son. Sometimes we'd, she'd go out and party and I'd go out and party and then we'd meet back at the house. Um, but remember, I'm on drugs, right? I try to keep it under control for a while. We did drugs a few times, but it got to the point where she's like, look, something needs to change. Mm. So then, um, you know, we go through, you know, 1999, 2000, you know, I'm, I'm just, I work sometimes, sometimes I don't. I'm gone for three, four days at a time because I'm out doing whatever party and then I'll come back. And it's like this, this back and forth, this breakup to makeup, you know, uh, you know, I'm going to change promises and this and that and the other. Right. And uh, then in, um, she, my wife gets pregnant, man. We had, Oh, let me, let me, let me, let, let me, before I move on, let me share this part. My wife, when I was gone out of the picture, she had overdosed. Right. And uh, she had oh my done some, some meth and, and she had taken some like some pills and she overdosed. So she got cited by the court and she was supposed to do a drug diversion program. Right. And she didn't do it. So when she moved in with me, right, she had this court date. She went to the court and the judge asked her, did you complete the drug diversion program? No. OK automatically took her in right then and there and did 60 days in jail. Well, here's the thing. She was, she didn't have, she was not a citizen. She wasn't a resident, a legal resident at the time. So when she did 60 days in jail, she ended up getting deported as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. She got deported. And so when she got deported, I told her, I'll meet you down there and we'll just walk across in those days. Um, Tijuana, the city of Tijuana, or what we call TJ, is just on the other side of San Diego. And so um, in those days of two, three in the morning, you would have, I mean, tons of people just walking across into the U.S. And they weren't even being checked for their citizenship. It was just a bunch of people partying down there and they just walked back. So I told them, we'll go down there, we'll party, and then we'll come, we'll, we'll, we'll come across. Well, she had a plan B. She had her, asked her friends to meet her down there because I was so unreliable. So we did just that. We went out, we partied, and then we simply walked across. You know, all these party girls coming across, all these people coming across, and that was it. So when she came back, this would have been in 2000, right? The, the, uh, I'm sorry, late 99, she came back. In late, um, she got deported, I think, in September, came back in, um, in November, and then in 2000, we get married, right? Because we're like, hey, we got to fix your paperwork situation. Might as well, let's just get married. So a romantic, yeah, <laughs> we got we got married in a in a, by a notary public man. We just sat in his in, at his desk, just like a, a pastor in an office wedding, you know. And um, and so we end up getting married in June of 2000. Did all the paperwork, submitted the paperwork, and all that. And then, um, uh, you know, I'm trying to change promises. We're breaking up. She's, you know, this and that, fighting, you name it, all that. And I'm trying to change. Okay, so I'm going to try to fast forward a little bit up to the point where I got saved. My wife, she's like, look, she ends up getting pregnant. And at first, we were like, well, we're just going to have an abortion, right? And I was indifferent about it. I was like, ah, whatever, you know, because I was on drugs. I was real passive. I was. And then she says, you know what? No, I'm going to keep this baby. I said, okay, that's fine too, right? So she ends up, you know, not going, not having an abortion. And so we have a beautiful daughter out of that. 
Um, and so um, what happened was that, um, you know, she started waking up, you know, you hear so much about, they say women mature faster than men. She started to think just, Hey, something's not right here. My wife tells me today, she would, when you asked earlier about prayer, my wife says that she would pray to God, God, do something. She, she was raised Catholic too. She didn't know. She just would cry and say, God, something needs to change. I'd be gone for days at a time, come home, sleep for 24 hours, get up and leave again. Mm. Uh, and you know, just on drugs. And, um, and so she reaches out to a marriage counselor, a marriage counseling service. Now you have to understand this is odd for our culture, right? Like I've known people that have been married, family members, aunts, uncles, cousins, they've been married a million years. And they don't like each other very much, but hey, they're married. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Yeah. So they don't seek counseling. I mean, you know, our culture, we don't do that. My, my wife's like, well, let me see if this will help us. So we started going to this marriage counselor, man. I still have the documents today that I use when I share my testimony. Wow. Um, we would go once a week for a one-hour session, pay $40, and all for her to tell me, Hey, you got problems. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. So, and so, yeah, you know, so, uh, that didn't work. You know, I, I mean, she gave me, Oh gosh, man, I, I, I should have brought the documents with me, but ridiculous things like this is a licensed professional. And I'm not saying nobody's ever been helped by a licensed professional, but for me, my experience, I mean, she gave me a list of like 30 things to do when I'm really mad. Right. One of those suggestions and I can text you a picture of this paper later um was make angry faces in the mirror i <laughs> i'm no joke man i still have it, this thing i still have the paper this the the paperwork and so just ridiculous stuff man and so that didn't work you know and this would have been in in um this would have been in in uh, mid to late uh, this would have been like mid 2001 okay it's been a few years since I got shot. I still haven't changed. I'm still doing the same stuff. I started doing when I was 15, 16. Okay. All I got another stuff. question for you at this moment. Yeah. So mm -hmm. uh, what I know, well, what I think I know is that uh, doing meth has a pretty harsh effect on the, the human body and mind and soul. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, what, how, what were you experiencing on a day-to-day -day basis? Like how, how bad was it? Um, you know, it, it was, it was, it wasn't that bad for me. Like I know guys who just were really bad for me. Um, you know, I think my max was like three, four days that I would be awake. I knew guys who would be up for weeks at a time. Uh, and so for me, it was, it, it was bad in the sense that, man, I was, um, always tired you know even though i had it was weird it's like you have energy but you don't um if i was up for three four days i'd sleep for you know at least 12 hours minimum wake up and then my hands would be really shaky just really shaky um you know i was really skinny really pale um and then um just became very passive um and uh and so, it, it, uh, again, for me, it wasn't as bad as it was for them. It was bad. Don't get me wrong. But it, I, I knew others that it was way worse for them. Mm, yeah. You know? And so, um, so anyhow, I hope that kind of answers your question. 
for sure yeah uh, what, so, what what about well, you at one point you mentioned that you had become real paranoid in your mind too did you notice i mean did, did that get worse Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe, because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Yeah, it did. And, and one of the things I didn't mention is that there was a big uh, split in the gang that I was from. So I had my own homeboys who were wanting to kill me. The same guys that were from my neighborhood, they were doing meth too. And they were conspiring to kill me and my brother for various reasons. Um, like literally, like a, like I remember one time I was on drugs in front of the house smoking a cigarette and I looked down and I see these two guys creeping across the other lawns um, trying to sneak up on us to kill us. Uh, uh, that would freak you out. Yeah, that, no, that happened more. That, that happened more than once. That was a, uh, so there was a lot going on at the time. This would have been in 2000, a lot going on. I got into a fight with one of the homeboys uh, and he, he beat me up pretty good. And, um, uh, in front of my, you know, in front of my parents' house, it was just really bad, man. It got really bad. Um, where you, know, these guys, they were coming around to kill us. You know, they, I mean, they wanted us dead. Um, but you know, with the grace of God, one of those guys, the guy who beat me up, he left me a scar on the back of my head. I still have it to this day. Uh, he's now saved and an assistant pastor for some church out here in Orange County. Get out of here! Wow. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so I've been able to reconnect with him. Um, but in 2001, so this is where, like, leading up to where I got saved, right? We're at the grocery store one night. I didn't want to go, but I was at the grocery store late one night. And my brother says to me, he's a year younger than me. He says, hey, I know that guy right there. So I didn't think nothing of it. So my brother goes up to this guy and goes, hey, aren't you so installed? He calls him by his nickname and says, from this gang in Fullerton, right? And the guy froze from him because he don't know if this is good or bad, right? This is how you hit up Cholos. This is how you hit up guys from me. Hey, Ar- where are you from? You know, that type of thing. So the guy froze and goes, yeah, but I don't mess around anymore. I got saved. I gave my life to Jesus. Oh, wow. And my brother says to him, hey, remember me? We were in juvenile hall together, you know, six years ago. Remember? And he goes, yeah, what's up, man? So my brother knew this guy from juvenile hall, right? 
And so they start talking. I walk up and my brother goes, hey, Tomas, I want you to meet this guy. Me and him were busted together in, in juvenile homes. You know, this is in 95. They were, and now it's in 2001. And, you know, they're, they're reconnecting. So this guy starts witnessing to my brother and me, man. And I've never heard anyone talk like this in my whole life. Not like this. And this guy, his name is Gustavo Carrillo. He, uh, he was part of the Fullerton Church. He got saved. He was a part of our fellowship. And um, he ended up uh, giving me witnessing to me and my brother, and he gave me a flyer. This would have been in, in uh, mid two thousand and one, you know. And um, and so he gives me a flyer, and he's he's like, "Look, the church is over here." This and that. He gave us his whole testimony. Uh, he came from an, a whole family of gang members, probably twelve of them, all gang members. I mean, just you know, craziness. Told us how he got saved. And from that point where he gave me that witness, right, um, th- it was a couple months later, that a few months later, that we started going to the marriage counselor and this and that. And But I always had that in mind. I remember even scoping out the church. If you know who Pastor Jesse Deanda is. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. I know he, he's, uh, he was assisting in Mesa for a while, right? Yes, yes, he was. Well, he was the pastor of the church at the time. So I this think I where... was there. I was in Fullerton one of those years and when he was there. Yeah, so, so, um, um, so you know, I ended up, um, you know, getting witnessed to by Gus. And, um, and I even scoped out the church where it was at, you know, I'd be, I'd be like, on meth and i'd be like man i'd be kind of bummed out like just driving around by myself you know because you start partying with people and then you end up getting getting high on your own then you know you got a real problem so i was like just man i was like dude i i can't kick this thing man it's kicking my butt so i knew i needed to change i just didn't know how so i scoped out the church and everything and you know at the same time we're going to this marriage counselor well one night so the oh, making right. angry faces in the mirror wasn't working out. No, well. and that wasn't, you know, neither was write an angry letter to whoever's making you <laughs> mad and shred it up into pieces. That wasn't helping either. I'm being serious too, man. It's crazy. But, but, uh, um, so, um, one night, man, let me fast forward one night, man, I, at this point, you know, my wife, she's getting ready to leave me for the last time, you know? Uh, and, you know, there's so many parts to it, man. I mean, one night, you know, I'm out and about and uh, she's like, man, I'm going to leave you and this and that. And and I had a gun in my pocket and I was just like, man, someone take me over there. I'm going to put, put her in her place. I was thinking crazy thoughts, man, you know. And so, you know, we would break up to make up and and uh, sometimes she'd be OK with me going out with the promise that I would come home the same night. Right. Does that make sense? It's almost like a compromise. Yeah. Right. Go out with your friends and party, but come back home to me type of deal. Well, this one night we go out and, um, you know, we'd been drinking. I'm on, I'm, I'm on meth, right. I'm on crystal at this point. Like the, it went away from speed, right. Which is like, uh, a less potent type than crystal. Right. So, at this point, all that's on the streets is crystal meth, like what you you would see as glass shards. So that's what we're on now, right? It's a more potent type of of, of meth. And so um, one night we're we're out. Uh, my brother uh, and another friend of mine we meet up with some other friends at this house. We're partying. 
And uh, my brother's drinking heavily, man. And uh, he's a heavy drinker as it was. And I was the driver. So I was, you know, on meth and I was just, just drinking a little bit, but, um, but still, you know, drinking more than I should have been uh, and for a driver. And so my brother, I look at him and he's a year younger than me. And my brother looks at me and goes, hey, fool. He's sitting down with like his head, right? Just dropped. And he goes, hey, fool. I'm drunk. Just like that, man. And, you know, it was different because normally it's like, hey, fool, I'm, I'm pretty buzzed. I'm faded. I'm he was like defeated, man. He was like, hey, fool, I'm drunk. Mm. Right? I kept taking beers from him. And so I said, you know what? Right now when you throw up, just go into the restroom, throw up, and you're going to feel better, right? And so I go into the restroom and I'm, he's kind of leaning over the, the, the toilet and he's, he's gagging and, I, and I'm kind of, all right, you know, just throw up, you'll be good. Well, he starts throwing up. Well, what happened was he, I look and he's throwing up blood, man. Oh, man. Like, it, yeah, he's throwing. And then he collapses on his knees. So at this point, I'm like, oh, man. I'm like, you know, and, and I start calling for my homeboy and uh, we called him ghost. He was a white boy and we, his nickname was ghost. <laughs> and, um, and so I'm like, ghost, ghost, get in here. And uh, he comes in. Right. And he's like, Whoa, what? he helps me get him up. But right before that, man, it was like 30 seconds. My brother's gripping his chest to this day. I don't know if he said, help me or ama. Ama would be like a mom in Spanish. To this day, I don't know which one he said. If it was Ama or help me as he's gripping his chest. But in that moment, Adam, no lie, man, it, a million questions went through my head. In that moment, I didn't know it at the time, but now I know it was God. Questions like, hey, what if your brother dies? Do you really want your brother to go out like this? What are you going to tell your family? What about you? Do you want to keep living this way? Wow. I mean, all of these things bombarded my mind quick. I was like, oh, man. And so I'm like, ghost, get in here. Help me. Help me. He, he helps me pick him up. My brother gains his balance, stands up. At this point, I'm crying, man. I'm crying. There's girls there. It's a party. It was like a total buzzkill, right? Girls are standing on there looking at me. I'm, I'm over here like, I'm trying to tell my homeboys like, no, something happened. You don't understand. He almost died. Like, and it was like, all right, cool. That's cool. Whatever. All right. He's better now. Right. But I knew some, and something, something happened in that moment. And, hmm. and so all I could think about, man, is I got to get to church. So what I did is that wow. morning. Yeah. All I could think about is I got to get to church. I got to go to that church. And so we went out to a donut shop. My brother to this day doesn't remember that night. We got some donuts, some milk, ended up going home. I, I tell my mom, I go into the room, I tell my mom, mom, you know, I'm almost, you know, he almost died. And she's like, yeah, yeah, you're just on drugs, right? <laughs> my dad, yeah, I went into the room. I told my wife, yeah, you don't understand. Yeah, 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 you're just, yeah, yeah, well, you're just on drugs, right? I've heard this story before. Mm. And so what I did is I had, you know, everyone has a junk drawer, right? A drawer where you just kind of throw everything in. So I looked up the junk drawer. I, I found the flyer he gave me um, and 11 o'clock. I said, man, I'm going to go. So I get dressed. I end up going to that service at 11 o'clock. And I walk in and um, the, the woman, the young lady who is now his wife, 
she she's like, um, are are you are you looking for somebody? You know, because it was a small church of about 40 people or so, you know, at the time, 30, 40. I go, yeah, I'm looking for this guy, Gus. And she says to me, uh, he, he went to go follow up. This is right before the service, uh, but he'll be back right now. And I'm like, uh, okay, I don't know what follow up is. I didn't say nothing, right? But in my mind, I'm like, okay, yeah. So I go in and sit down. Now picture this, okay? I'm trying to get to the to the uh, to this part of it quickly because uh, I know we're <laughs> running out of time. But. No, take take your time. But um, th- imagine, okay, this is how it was: fifty chairs, right? Two groups of chairs, right? So you have twenty-five on one side, twenty-five on the other. Three aisles, the two outer aisles, and then the center aisle down the middle, right? Got it. Just your tr- tr- traditional, you know, uh, church pioneer church uh, 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 setup, right? I sit on the right side, right? Uh, probably the the third or the fourth chair um, on the inside aisle, but on the uh, on the you know uh, on the right side, right, right next to the aisle. And I'm sitting there with my head down, and I'm just man, I don't know what I'm thinking, man. I'm just like, man, things got to change. So this guy comes up from behind me, taps me from the back, sits down in the chair, excuse me, in the chair in front of me, and turns back to me, turns around, and says, "Hey, how's it going?" I go, hey, remember me? He goes, um, I go, hey, I'm so-and-so's brother. We met at the store. He goes, oh, yeah, man, that's right. He's all, hey, so how are you doing? Adam, no lie, man. When he asked me how I was doing, I wanted to break down and weep, man. Mm, mm. I was, I wanted to break down and weep. But I just, I just held it in. I said, man, I've been doing too good. And so just as I was getting ready to pour my heart out to this guy, you know, song service starts. <laughs> How rude. So, so you know what he does? I'll never forget this. To this day, I tell people, man, this guy just goes, hey, man, I'm just going to worship God. And he turned around, got up and started clapping. <laughs> and I was like, what? And, but it was like, I didn't pay no mind to it. But I was like, man, I'll just get ready to pour my heart out to this dude, you know? <laughs> and so um, that day, man, whatever, I, I don't remember exactly what Pastor Downer preached on, but everything he said, man, I was just like, Man, I want that. If what this guy's saying is true, if what these people are saying is true, I need to change. I want Jesus. So needless to say, man, at the altar call, I raised my hand. I walked to the front, right? The invitation. And you have to understand as a tweaker, because I was a tweaker, you become very self-conscious, right? You think people are looking at you and all this kind of stuff. So it's kind of a strange thing to do, you know, because you got to kind of overcome some of these uh, like insecurities that are at work because you think, man, people are staring at you. But I didn't care. I just went up to the front. I kneeled and then Gus comes to pray with me. He puts his hand on, on my back and he says, are you ready? But Adam, I was weeping so much. I said to him, no. And it's not that I wasn't ready to pray with him. It's that I couldn't pray because I was sobbing, man. I mean, before I even got a word out, I was literally sobbing, mm. you know, and then he led me in a prayer, man, and, you know, the classic sinner's prayer. But I remember he just said, just mean, mean this in your heart, man. And I said, okay. And I prayed with him, and I got up. And, I, you know, I know a lot's been said, but I, for me, man, this is I, – I, I literally felt a weight lifted off my shoulder, a cloud just removed from my mind. I got up. And um, I walked out and the sky had never been so blue and the grass had never been so green. I I mean, that may sound cheesy, but I mean, that's legit for me. That's exactly what it was, man. 
And so I got up and I remember the pastor asked me, hey, you want to go out grab grab some lunch? I said, no, I got things I got to do. I didn't have nothing to do. I just didn't want to go, you know. <laughs> but um, <laughs> Gus stayed with me after the service. I ended up talking to this guy for like two or three hours after the service. And he took me from Genesis to Revelation, man. And somehow it just made sense. Wow. Somehow I was just like, oh, okay. And so that was just the beginning. You know, I struggled with some things for about, five, six weeks. Um, but um, eventually, man, God was really at work in my life, man. And, uh, you know, that whole situation I told you, my old homeboys wanted to kill me. It all came to a head, man, where they came to the house with guns and everything, man. Well, I remember pr praying a prayer, God, I don't want to live like this anymore. I was saved 20 days. They came to the house, wow. the, in front of the house with guns and everything. Two days later, man, they, they ended up committing a shooting. And, uh, you know, that was it, man. They, they, you know, the, the police were on them and everything. They were out of my hair, you know, <laughs> they were out of my hair for sure. And uh, that was an answer to me. That was an answer to prayer because I just, it's not like I prayed God, you know, I just simply said it to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to live this way anymore. You know, cause I was still, I went to church with a, a carrying a gun, you know what I mean? Like I, I was God was working in my life, but I still had these things in my mind, you know, these strongholds that, that, that just these things that were embedded, man. And so I remember going to the New Year's bash, I had a gun with me, you know, a couple other times too, you know, and, and uh, this, I got saved December 9th, 2001, a uh, couple months after we went to the whole, you know, marriage counseling thing and this and that. I told my wife, when I got home, she was like, where, you, where have you been at? I said, well, I went to church. I was talking to this guy. Yeah, right. Yeah. I said, no, for real, I did. And and I told her, um, you know, I have a feeling things are going to be different, and I want you to come with me. Um, that was on a on a, a Sunday, right? Well, that How, how did she my, react? She was like, she was all for it. You know, she. I mean, this was all new to us, right? You have to understand, I didn't, or take, I didn't know how to exactly you know have the christian lingo to say to her um but but she 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 knew she's like hey let, we need to change because um uh, so she ended up coming wednesday and get and got saved god really touched her but you know the thing is we used to go to the catholic church remember a couple of times we went at night just sat there literally just the church was open all night so we just sat there my wife was just searching i was you know i remember pulling up to a church a christian church my wife gets off. I'm driving. She gets off, runs in, opens the sanctuary doors, looks around, closes the door, comes back into the car. I ask her, are we coming here? She goes, no. I go, why not? She goes, I don't know. And we just kept driving because, like, we didn't know, right? Wow. We yeah. knew, like, we need church. You know, as people say you change in church, right? But we didn't know we needed Christ and forgiveness of sins and a transformation in our hearts and all those things. So we, you know, she was all for it. But like I said, that Wednesday, she she ended up uh, coming with me and got saved. And that was just the process, uh, the beginning of, of just God really restoring our marriage violations, all these things, man. I was abusive verbally, physically, man. I was just, you know, all these things. And it's by the grace of God that we're um, that we're still married. It's been, uh, you know, we've been married 21 years now, man. Praise God. What, yeah. What about the drugs? What What was it like for you to for you to get off of them? Um, you know what? I, I I did. I still got high a few times after I got saved. But I can honestly tell you that I I believe that I was saved. But it was different. It was. 
and to this day, I mean, you would think, man, as a pastor, I could articulate it better. I it, it's, it's hard for me to really convey it. It was like, I was saved, but I was doing drugs just because that's what I did. If that makes any sense. It's part of your personality. Yeah. It was like, but it was different. It was not the same, the, the enjoyment that I'd get from them before the feeling of ecstasy I'd get in my body. It wasn't the same. So it wasn't super, super hard, man. It was about six weeks, you know, um, I got high a couple of times, but then I'd still go back to church and say, man, I'd repent, get things right, you know? Um, and, uh, um, and, and, but it was obvious, man, that God was really working in our lives, man. It was, it became really, really obvious to people around us. And, and it was pretty quick too, man. We were able to bring family and friends uh, to church and many of them got saved. And so, um, yeah, I didn't have, I, I really feel like it was a, a deliverance, but, um, you know, that, uh, but I really had to contend for it too. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that is such an incredible story. And I think what it does is it gives us hope for people who are so broken, you know, and especially, you know, as a pastor, you, you never know what's going to be walking in that door. Pastor Deonda had no idea who wow. you were and what you, what you were in the middle of, you know what I'm saying? And with, yeah. with, with, with all that, you know, that we go through just to get somebody into church, sometimes, you know, we don't, we don't understand that, man, this was a process that God was doing in your life. Uh, yeah. You had received a witness, thank God, a faithful witness, but, but God was the one pulling you to himself. That's so powerful. Yeah, no, man, it really is. Um, I mean, there's so many components, Adam, that man, I can't, I don't even know that I could squeeze them in. Um, but there's so many elements, man, like, you know, the, the, what God, how God restored my relationships with my family, with my dad, especially, um, you know, uh, my dad just passed away this last November. So it's been just under a year that he passed away. Um, but, um, but how God restored our, our relationship, man. Oh my goodness. Um, you know, my, my marriage today, the testimony, um, my children, you know, I often tell people, uh, my, my, my children, um, you know, they been raised in church. My oldest son, Nick was three and a half when we got saved. Remember he was born in 98. We got saved December, 2001. Um, and then our daughter was two months exactly when I got saved. She, that's all she was. She was exactly two months old. Um, but, and then we have two younger boys, uh, 15 and, and 11, Israel and Daniel. And, um, but anyhow, uh, they will never know the life that we lived because, because of the grace of God, they've been raised in church, but you know what else is that my wife and I will never get to know the life that they know mm. because they've been raised in church. Yeah. You, you know, that's that's great typical story of the church kid. You know, they, they are so blessed. And a lot of times they don't, they don't understand the depth of that blessing. Yes. I mean, gosh, man, you know, both of our son and, um, and our daughter both live in Chandler. <laughs> they're, out, they're living out there, man, going to church. Praise God. Praise God. Well, yeah. Hey, I, you know, you, you've been very generous with a lot of these details and, uh, I appreciate the time. I, I would love to, if we could, to close it out by by telling us the the version, the short version of how it was that you were called into the ministry, because that's that's a whole nother 
you know, miracle that God has to do. You, you, you got saved, you got miraculously saved. And that gives us hope for people, you know, that are in the throes of, of insanity. Um, but that, that's not where the journey ends. That's where it begins. And so, so can you, can you describe, you know, what it was, how how did you know that you were called to be a preacher? So, um, yeah, I'll try to uh, just kind of summarize, but, uh, you know, as I, as I started getting involved in the church, um, we just started, uh, you know, um, just serving any way we could. So we we started getting involved in outreaches, evangelism, right, those types of things. And then uh, we'd stay and help clean the church and, you know, just not really had an official ministry. Uh, we were just kind of there and helping and different things. But uh, about a year and four months after we were saved, uh, Pastor Mel Bianco took over the church. And he took over the church in Fullerton about a year and four months after we got saved. And when he came in, he's, he, uh, you know, Pastor Jesse had already talked to me about being in ministry. But when Pastor Mel came in, it was like, okay, I got into ministry. Um, It it became an usher shortly thereafter. I became a Bible study leader. And um, and then I was doing the Spanish translation for the Spanish uh, visitors um, that we would get. And so... um, uh, just in, in the course of that, um, you, you know, I, I, I had thoughts like when I, early on, I, I must say this, and, and this is absolutely true, Adam, that um, in, within the first few months, man, after I got saved, remember, we were eight months saved in our first Bible conference in 2002. Um, I started having like thoughts in my mind of me holding a microphone, wearing a shirt and tie. Like that, that's, you know, in my mind, but I didn't understand what these things were, right? Like I had flashes in my mind and believe me, I'm not the type of guy who gets all like, oh man, I had a, a, all these visions and dreams, but this is legit, man. Like I, I, I can remember like just having these flashing thoughts in my mind about me holding a microphone wearing a certain tie and I was like, oh, okay, whatever. So, um, you know, just in serving, getting involved in ministry and different things. I can remember uh, I was in the translation booth, translating for the Spanish speaking uh, people that were there in that service. We have, you know, a handful of people. And I, I, I can remember God dealing with me heavily about preaching and coming to the city of Paramount to pioneer a church. Wow. Early like, on. God, yeah. This was a couple years in if that, but I, I, um, but I remember this is this would have been just a couple of years. I remember we were in our first building where we got saved. So, so this was le- under four years for sure. I I knew like man, and I remember talking to Pastor Mel immediately after the service and telling him, Pastor, I feel God is calling me to Paramount, the city I grew up in. And um, and, but I, it it was I don't know what he was preaching on. All I know is I was busy translating. But the spirit of God was heavy on me, man. It was so heavy. Um, and I had a few moments like that throughout the years where it was like, you know, um, I really felt God God calling me, you know, to preach. I remember driving to work one time. Gosh, man, I, I hope I don't get mocked for telling all these stories where I'm crying. But, 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 <laughs> but uh, as people listen to this, but I remember going to work, man, just driving there. Do you remember the guys who would sing at Bible conference? They would sing that song, the guys from Jacksonville, yeah, Florida. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The poor Do you remember guys, yeah. one of the songs that they sang, If Each One Could Reach One? Mm, yeah, I do remember if, that. 
it's a special song that they sang. Uh, if if each one could reach one, uh, right? Um, uh, we could win the world for Christ, you know. And uh, oh, the song starts off by saying, "Today a man is somewhere proclaiming the good news, bringing families to Jesus all around his neighborhood." So that's the opening lyrics to the song. Well, that song made such an impact on me, man. I remember listening to it one time going to work, and I the spirit of God came down, man. And I was think I was sobbing, man, on my way to work. I, I just felt this burden, man, to, to, for people, you know? Um, and so I've had a few of those moments where I felt oh, so overwhelmed, man, by God's grace, where I was like, man, I, you know, just God dealing with me about preaching. And so, so we, the, the, the church there in Fullerton, Pastor Mel Bianco, you, at the time, uh, you guys didn't, did you have any churches out at that time? Um, Pastor Nick Half was out of Fullerton um, when I first got saved. He was ah, pioneering. funny you should mention. He is one of our previous episodes on Testimony yes. Tuesday. We'll leave a link so you can go hear his story. What's your connection with Pastor Half? So he was uh, pioneering um, um, in Inglewood, and he was the baby church pastor out of Fullerton when we got saved. So I was a new convert, right, in Fullerton, and he is... Uh, got uh, you know sent out of Fullerton to Inglewood to pioneer. Gotcha. Okay, that's the connection. So, um, so then when Pastor Mel, there were some changes made, and Pastor Mel took over the church. Pastor Jesse went to Assistant Mesa, and Pastor Half went to Chandler. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And so, so how long was it between the time that you, that you felt this overwhelming urge to help people until it actually happened? Um, you know, from when we got, well, you know, I, I'm not a, exactly sure. So from when we got saved, December of 2001 to when we actually came out here um, would have been um, 10 years. So we came out here in 2011. Mm, that's a long yeah. time. Yeah, it, it, it was. I mean, obviously, the church had to be in a place where they could release us. And then we had to have our things in order. There was a year where we, uh, you know, we weren't uh, exactly ready to go out. Uh, even though I, you know, I felt like I was, but we had some things we had to take care of financially uh, before we were in a position to come out. So, so it was ten years from when we got saved to when we actually came out. Wow, that so that gives hope for people. Uh, you know, some people who feel feel a burden or feel that like they're called and and it's not happening immediately. Um, it doesn't doesn't have to happen immediately. Sometimes it can be a process. No, it, it definitely is. Um, we had to be, you know, I, especially me, I had to be patient. Um, if you've been, you know, for the listeners who've been to a Bible conference or maybe they have it, but man, you get really stirred if your heart is open. I mean, you can get really, really stirred. And uh, so having to see people go out and hear these stories and then, um, you know, it's just revival and, and lives being impacted for Christ, man, that's, you know, for some, you know, someone who came from a, a, a lifestyle like I did, man, I just knew there's people like that, like me, uh, that people that are the way I was. And if we can help them, uh, man, God use our lives, you, you know, so. So 2011, you get sent to Paramount, California, mm -hmm. your dream uh, back to your home city where you grew up. And so tell us how it's been. It's been 10 years already. Yeah, no, it has. It's been 10 years and we basically pioneered in our apartment. We were in an apartment for about 11 and a half months until we finally got a building 
And it was a slow process in the beginning, but I was confident that God um, had called me here. Uh, I was I was absolutely confident. Even the, the, uh, the, during times of uncertainty, I just referenced back to that time. God spoke to me about being here. And uh, we started in our living room. Um, and then a year later, we got into a little storefront, a small storefront. And we, um, God began to bring in people. People started getting saved. People started tithing, getting involved, um, all these different things. And um, we packed out that little building. It was uh, about 800 square feet, probably less than 800 square feet. Um, but for years, we were we, we kept praying, we need a building. Out here in this area, uh, if you're not uh, a permitted, if you're not zoned for a church, uh, your building isn't zoned for a church, the cities will shut you down. So we were under the radar for a long time. But we would we would we just prayed and believed God, and um, an opportunity opened up where we were able to get into a permitted church building. Praise this God! Is, this is our dream, where we have signage in our old building. We used to have to put up our banners and then bring them out down after every service, um, because um, you know we it, it, we were flying under the radar. Um, and so we desperately needed a building, um, and God opened the door, uh, to this location that we're at now. This building is about four times larger than our previous building. Um, and it's just the grace of God that we're here. We have signage, we have a, a church, we have, um, up and running children's church, um, you know, ministries, people that have been saved under our ministry. And, um, you know, and God has really been good to us. Uh, have we had some struggles just like any, anybody? Absolutely. But man, it's all worth it. And I'm absolutely grateful um, for, you know, obviously to the Lord for what he's done in our lives, but also the, the fellowship that we're a part of. I mean, I've been so blessed with relationships and friendships. Um, so, so yeah, we've been here uh, 10 years and, uh, you know, who knows how long, uh, you know, uh, uh, God would have us to be here. We're just plugging away and trying to do our part in reaching people for Jesus. Praise God. Well, maybe you could share with the audience who has made it so far. Uh, you can share with us a couple of uh, pressing needs that you'd like us to be praying about. Um, well, I, Oh, gosh, that's a, a good question. That kind of uh, caught me off guard. I would say, um, and definitely, we need we need to pray for men. Um, we need we need we have we have good men in our church, uh, but there's just from my vantage point. I know everyone has their own experience, but from my vantage point, we have seen um, the, the the a real challenge in in seeing uh, you know men surrender to Christ, repent of sin, and fully embrace all that God has for them. Um, we've had a, a number of men who have been derailed uh, from their destiny for various reasons. So that would be one pressing need is we need, we desperately need, uh, you know, men uh, who would just lock in and just love Jesus. You know, um, the other uh, need that I would say is we, we need, uh, uh, we need finances because we're going through a remodel. So we've done a lot of work to the building that we're at right now. We've done a lot of work to it, but we could definitely use a, 
a shot in the arm. Uh, and so we, we, that would be another need, um, you know, just the finances to be able to complete um, the remodel, because uh, once we do that, then the, the next step would be full-time ministry. Right now I'm having to juggle a job and, you know, ministry and family um, by the grace of God, uh, you know, we're, we're doing it, but, but that would be the other need finances, uh, I got, I'm saying finances, but just straight up Kashola. We need a lot of cash. Got you. So, yeah. Praise God. It's always, uh, always something to, uh, to pray for. Well, it's, uh, it's been fantastic to hear your testimony, Pastor Tomas. And it's amazing to, to hear what God has done in your life. And, uh, I'm assuming we'll see you at the conference pretty quick here, huh? Yes, sir. Yeah. We're going to be uh, hitting up on, uh, on Saturday. We got, as I mentioned, we got our two older kids there. Um, and so, you know, my wife's uh, absolutely looking forward to seeing them, but of course, just uh, seeing everyone else. So yeah, we'll be there. Praise God. And uh, so California is not the easiest place to have uh, a church with all the things that are happening there, but there's a ray of hope I've heard named Larry Elder. <laughs> so yeah, if, the if, sage of South Central. <laughs> if that happens, I may have to come visit. Yeah, no, man, come down. You have an open invitation, man. And, uh, you know, we'd love to have you, uh, you know, um, we'd love to have you even preach, man. That'd be great. You have an open invite. So anytime you'd love to come down, I'll give you the tour. I, I love to give people the tour. I take them through downtown L.A., uh, I don't always take people to the nicest parts. I just like to get them uh, to see a part of L.A. that not everyone sees. Take them down Skid Row, um, take them by downtown L.A. And, you know, and uh, so, yeah, man, you have an open invite. Well, same to you if you ever find yourself on the East Coast. Sounds good, man. <laughs> well, we, appre we appreciate the time so much. And for those who have made it this far, we thank you for listening. Thanks for being a part of this. If uh, if you were encouraged by this testimony, I would encourage you to uh, pass it on to somebody that needs to hear it. Uh, no doubt that there's people who uh, could be could be ministered to and, and edified by what you heard on this powerful episode so again pastor tomas thank you so much for joining us and and sure. uh and the podcast here it's been a great blessing for us yeah man my pleasure man and thanks for the honor and, uh, and the invite of having me god bless all right we'll talk to you next time um on uh, testimony tuesday thank you for joining us thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the virginia beach potter's house church were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.